would you like to be known? How would you like to be an awesome encourager? I'm serious. Think about this. How would you like to be an awesome encourager? How would you like it if, say, five years from now, or maybe 10 years from now, or 20 years from now, some little kids that you've known at Kingwood grow up and, and one day they come to you and say, hey, you know what? Every time I, I think about Kingwood Church or I think about the work of God in my life, it's your face that comes to my mind. Thank you for what you did in my life. Your name and your face pops in my mind because you were such an encouragement to me. There were a lot of people, a lot of people that did a lot of good things, and I sure am thankful. But when I think about you, I think about the greatest influence in my life. Wouldn't it be neat if somebody said that about you? Wouldn't it be great to be like a, a, a married couple and you've been through tons of trouble in your life and, and all of a sudden, 10 years later, somebody comes up and says, you know, my marriage was on the rocks until I was in that life group with you and you shared about all the struggles God brought you through and we're together today because you hung in there and you showed us what to do. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing to be able to hear? Or maybe if you're a single person today and, and, and all the temptations and struggles and someday you hear somebody say, wow, my life is on the edge, but I watched it how you handled some of those difficult struggles and how you made it through without throwing your life away. And I sure am glad that you did that. Reminds me of a song back from the 1980s that was probably, and it was known as the most popular song of the decade of the 1980s. <laughs> it was so popular in Assembly of God churches that we probably overdosed on it. We did a hundred human videos about it, and I ought to know that with Master's Commission. We've done a hundred about that one song, I bet. We hardly ever wanted to hear it again after a while, but it was called Thank You for Giving to the Lord by Ray Bowles. Anybody remember that thing? Thank you for giving to the Lord. Even if you OD'd on it back in the day, you probably remember the story it told. It was about, it brought, a tear, brought tears to your eyes every time you heard it, even though you knew what was coming. It's about this guy that dreamed he went to heaven, and to his surprise, all these people came up to him and said, you were my Sunday school teacher, you were my neighbor, you were my boss at work, and I want to thank you because you had an influence on my life. And he didn't even realize he had had that kind of influence on him. And then at the end was the clincher. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to give you the words. Some of you would say, I, I, I did this for Pastor Joel, and Joel just said the words with me. He remembered them so well. And I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes. As Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, he said, my child, look around you. Great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I was a life that was changed. Remember that? <laughs> you may or may not remember that song, cheesy or not. I don't know about you, but I cannot think of a greater reward in heaven than that. Did you hear me? I can't think of a greater reward in heaven than that. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said one time when he said, you are my joy and my crown. That's the truth, guys. Better than a thousand mansions in heaven. Better than a big hunk of gold from the golden streets in heaven. 
would just be knowing that my life somehow actually helped somebody come to know Jesus. Now that's the truth. Well, today we're beginning a short, when I say short, I mean two-week series, a short series called The Encourager. Now understand, this is not aimed at people who have the gift of encouragement. You know, those are the kind of people that have it just written on their forehead. And everywhere they go, they just encourage people all the time. I, I, had a, I, I met the greatest encourager in the world when I met my wife. She had an aunt they called Aunt Bappy. I don't know what her real name was. I think it was Bessie, but they called her Aunt Bappy. And she was, she was um, uh, a school teacher. She was probably in her late 70s or early 80s when I met her. And uh, we went to South Carolina one time to visit the family. I was brand new in the family. And Peggy said, you just have never met anybody like her. She's unreal. She's just the, she's the best in, you just wouldn't believe her. So we were walking with her down the street. And she had her little purse, you know, over her arm. She's a little bitty thing. She, uh, I'm, I'm short, but she's shorter. We're just walking down there. We're walking across, we're walking up the sidewalk. And you know how there, there are these sidewalks that have like, little alleys that go between buildings and all of a sudden just as we were getting to one of those places a Volkswagen came down the alley and across the sidewalk and just about hit Baffy just about hit her and I mean we had like pull her back and and the, the the green Volkswagen I remember it was sort of a vomit green came around the corner and took off and I said I was I was about to say that jerk I can't believe what he did and Aunt Bappy goes, wasn't that a beautiful colored car? <laughs> and I looked at Peggy. She said, I told you. I told you. Well, this, this series isn't meant for just Aunt Bappy's of the world, okay? This is really to all of us because the Bible tells us encouragement is a requirement that God has of the body of Christ. It's a Christian trait that's supposed to reside deep inside of everyone in this room. If Jesus lives in you, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you are to be an encourager. We are to be encouragers. So what we're going to do, I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture today in the New Testament. And what we're going to look at is what does it mean to be an encourager? What does an encourager look like? What kind of attitude does an encourager possess? What are some tools that encouragers have at their disposal? But before I show you that passage of Scripture, what I want to do is I want to set the table. I want to set the table by giving you quickly four things that you've got to remember if this series is going to mean anything to you. Four things. Here they are. Number one, people are hurting far more than you know and far more than they show. Take a glance at somebody right next to you. Just take a little glance. Now look behind you, in front of you. They look good, don't they? <laughs> when they get up on Sunday morning, get their coffee, get dressed, and come to church, they look good. But guess what? They're just like you and me. Many times they're hurting. Many times they're hurting physically or spiritually or or emotionally on the inside, many times they got things they don't know what to do. And they need encouragement. Because they're just like, everyone is just the same. The night that Abraham Lincoln 
was assassinated at Ford's Theater in Washington. Uh, somebody made a, uh, made a list of the things that he carried on his person. And here's the list. I, lo- I love history, and this is, this is what he had with him. He had two pair of glasses. He's probably like me, loses one, you have to have a backup. A small velvet eye glass cleaner. I carry one of those. An ivory pocket knife. A large handkerchief with A. Lincoln stitched in red. A tiny little pencil. A brass sleeve button. Who knows? A fancy watch fob. And a brown wallet with a $5 Confederate bill in it. It's weird. But he also carried eight newspaper clippings that he had cut out and saved all of those were encouragement in applauding the president who carried so much weight on his shoulders during the war lincoln carried those newspaper clippings around because he's just like you and me he needed encouragement he needed encouragement everybody does And God wants us to be and play the part of the encourager. Now, here's the second thing you've got to remember. You've got to know this is part of the table. Number two, you have far more to offer than you know and far more to offer than you show. So many times we go, oh, I'd love to get out of my comfort zone and go help this person, but I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, I just don't think I have a lot to offer. You've got a lot to offer. You've got a lot to offer, I promise you. And it doesn't take much. It takes availability, not ability. It takes availability, not ability. Mostly it takes heart and love, a a whole lot more than skill and knowledge. It just takes somebody loving and caring about somebody. Here's the third thing on the table. Encouragement helps others take the next step they couldn't take on their own. The truth now, it's not just that encouragement is a nice thing to do. It's much more than that. It helps people take a next step forward that they would not do without you. See, I believe God works in, in the body of Christ like we're a family. I really do. I believe that's what the Bible says. When you read in the Bible about what Jesus said about becoming like him, and treating people like he treats people. I find out that every one of those commandments are in the first or second person plural. If you don't know anything about English, this is what this means. It's, the key word is we and y'all, not me and I. It's we and y'all, it's all of us together, all of us together. Sometimes we get in a spot, I get in a spot where I I cannot take the next step until I have somebody coming at least Give me some kind of a little nudge. Maybe, maybe a word of encouragement. Here's the fourth thing. This is sort of where we're going to settle today. The key to encouragement is attitude. There's certain attitudes that you have to be to be a biblical encourager. And what I'm going to find out, what we're going to find out in the scriptures, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15 is there are certain attitudes they build great churches and they build great Christians. 
And here they are. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. Let's read that, all right? And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Now notice, there are four, this is, this is a perfect little four-point sermon here. There are four verbs, action steps that he gives us. Here they are. Warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. I want to take those one by one before we finish today. Let's take the first one. Warn those who are idle. Warn? Are you kidding? Warn is supposed to be encouragement? Warn the idle? Are you kidding? Of course it is, with the right attitude. The word that's used here for warn is not a word that means slap them or threaten them or rebuke them. But you know what the word itself means? The Greek word means to gently bring something to someone's mind. It doesn't mean to remind them, I told you, I already told you. It's not that. It's, hey dude, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but listen to this. That's what that word means. It means bringing something to somebody's mind to warn them is to say to something, some, something that they may not have thought of before. And, and the word idle there, warn those who are idle, the word idle there means distracted, not paying attention. Hello, story of my life. Distracted, not paying attention. So in other words, confront the distracted and the clueless. <laughs> confront them, warn them. It's like, it's like being willing to confront somebody, which is sometimes difficult. It's like when, I'm, when a young couple is starting off and they jump right into really, really deep debt. They're charging everything on credit cards and somebody who notices that comes up and goes, hey guys, can I talk to you about this? Hey listen, my wife and I did exactly what you're doing. And let me tell you what, it doesn't end well. Before you get too deep, will you let me help you? Now folks, that is a warning, is it not? But that's a great warning. That's a warning that people need. That's called godly encouragement. Maybe it's awkward. Maybe it's, oh, I don't know if I had the right to do it. Yes, it's your brother. It's your, it's your family member in the body of Christ. Yeah, you do. Please do. Maybe you can say, hey, look, we got a financial peace group at our church. Hey, why don't you come in? It'll, it'll change everything about this before you suffer. Or maybe, maybe it's when you're at work and you see a fellow Christian growing a little bit more and more flirtatious with somebody at work. And you pull them aside and say, hey, look, I care about you a whole lot. I just want to tell you, what you're doing is going to lead you to a, down a road you don't want to go. And it's going to hurt your family big time. Now you say, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Let me, let me tell you what. If I'm traveling down the road and the bridge is out, I really would appreciate somebody saying to me, the road you're on, the bridge is out. And it may even hurt my feelings that I didn't notice it. But isn't that the best way to do it? That's what the scripture means. In other words, you may, you may see something that's dangerous in my life. 
And if you care about me, please warn me. Even if I look like I don't want to hear it, please warn me. Why? Because you love me. Please do that. I would like to have somebody say, there's a curve up ahead and you not, may not make it. Please slow down. That's, the, that's, that's what the scripture says. You know where those conversations happen? Those warning conversations? They don't have to happen by walking up to somebody and putting your finger in their face. They could be just with the door closed in the office, maybe in a car somewhere, maybe at a restaurant. Just saying, hey, I care about you. Folks, that is part of the job of an encourager. How many people would be saved from incredible destruction if we had more encouragers who are willing to warn the idle, to confront the clueless? Let's look at the next one. Encourage the timid. I love the way the uh, Message Bible translates this. It says, gently encourage stragglers. Stragglers. See, that word timid is not the word shy like we would think somebody that's shy, afraid to say something. It's a really a word that means someone who doesn't have the strength to keep up with the pace. They're a straggler. You know, a straggler is somebody that maybe they got a limp in one leg and they can't, can't go as fast as the band that's marching. So it's like encourage the person who's, who's uh, wounded, who maybe doesn't have the, the will and the courage to take their next step. For instance, they'd love, somebody really needs and would love to get into a life group, but they're not going to go out there and sign up on their own. So you know what you can do? You can say, hey, why don't you come to my life group? We would love to have you come to my life group. I'd love for you to come. You would enjoy it. And you know that might just be the nudge they need to get involved in a life group that might change their life forever. So it doesn't happen all the time. Well, they know where to sign up. Well, show them. Well, I heard, I, I, when we had sign-up day not long ago, I heard somebody go, hey, I signed you up. This person goes, really? He says, yeah, you need to come. I said, all right. <laughs> so you know who that person is that needs to give people a nudge? You. Yeah, you. Oh, I'm not good at that. Oh, yeah, everybody's a nudger. Everybody nudges. Everybody needs to be spurred on every once in a while. A lot of those so-called stragglers have a lot of gifts, have a lot of gifts and a lot of potential in the kingdom of God. And if somebody doesn't spur them on and get behind them and say, hey, I'm with you, let me help you. I tell you what, dude, you may be limping, but put your armor on my shoulder and let's just go. Let's go. Look at the next one. Help the weak. Now I like that. Help the weak. The word weak there is not the word that means, uh, that specifically means physically weak. It's a word that means really somebody who has to have someone holding them up. Someone who cannot stand up on their own at all. It means somebody who's unstable. That word weak would be somebody who has to have a crutch. They have to have somebody to hold on to. It's an unstable person. Have you ever seen somebody that's twisted their ankle 
and then they're trying to get out of the woods or something like that, and there is no way they're going to go over the river and through the woods with that twisted ankle. So they got to have somebody they can lean on to get them out of the woods. It's perhaps, it's just a little stability that they need. Perhaps. Maybe it's, it's one of those things, sometimes when people come up on the stage, we have somebody walk up on the stage. Sometimes, doesn't matter who they are, sometimes it's good to just stand here, let them grab your hand. Just enough stability so they don't wipe out on the, on the steps and go, oh God, I'll never get up there again. <laughs> it's amazing how helping somebody just have basic stability in their life. Just standing with them. Without you, they may fall on their face. You know what that requires? Personal touch. It requires for you to be very personal and touch somebody. Today, there is somebody in this service that's not going to make it unless you stand with them. Teen Challenge, there's some people sitting next to you that are not even going to make it through Teen Challenge if you don't hold them up when they're weak. If you don't let them lean on you and you can say, hey, look, I was there three months ago, you can make it. It's true. It's true. Um, you know that word that's translated weak there? It also means, it, it sort of describes a state of mind that I can't. I can't. I'm not able to. I can't. It says you need to bear up someone who says in their heart, I can't. You need to go, yes, you can. Yes, you can do it. It, it may eventually lead to physical illness or physical uh, inability, but it really starts out as a mental state. I can't do it. I can't do it. I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to finish the challenge. I won't be able to say no to drugs next time. I won't be able to. I will not. I won't. Yes, you will, especially if somebody stands behind you. We get to be the instruments of God's healing to their sick soul. That's a sick soul mindset when you say, I can't. But God will let you help them that, by, by uh, acting on it and becoming the person they can lean on. I want to tell you a story about somebody you may or may not know. It's one of our own. There was an, there's an incredible lady named Kim Boyd. We called her Kimbo. Kim grew up with a small speech impediment. Uh, she was quickly branded in school as learning disabled. She went to school all, all, of, all of her schooling feeling that way. In high school, she turned to alcohol and became an alcoholic before she could even drive. After coming to Christ, though, a few years ago, she got a job at our CDC, our Kingwood Daycare Center, where she set, met some amazing people who constantly encouraged her. Eventually, Kim thought about applying for master's commission, but she thought that her speech impediment and her learning disability would keep her from being able to make it through the program. But after some really strong nudges from these caring people that work at the CDC, she decided to apply. Three years later, she graduated from Master's Commission. She transferred to Ecclesia College in Arkansas, where just a few months ago, she earned her bachelor's degree. I, th I think we got her picture up there. 
Now, I want to tell you something about Kimbo. Kimbo has been all the things that I talked about today. Kimbo was idle. She was distracted, an alcoholic without purpose. And believers came along beside her and warned her what would happen to her if she continued in this road. Believers came and shared Jesus with her. They loved her enough to get involved in her life and tell her the truth and intervene. She came to Christ. Kim was timid. She lacked the, the courage to take the next step. She thought she was defined by her disability. But her Christian co-workers nudged her and told her, this is the direction you need to go. Without their encouragement, Kimbo would not have a college degree today. Kim was weak. She failed over and over and over. She was filled with fear. She was afraid of even trying. Her soul was sick. She felt limited. And then the members of the family of God came along beside her and loved her, showed compassion to her, held her up and walked with her. I know, I, I saw them for three years. People in this church, not just in Master's Commission, but in this, this body of believers, held her up until she learned to walk with Jesus without a limp. <laughs> now she walks confidently with God. I want to tell you something. This is just an aside. This isn't in my notes. Let me tell you the value of a Christian family who knows you. Some people, some people don't understand what longevity means in the family of God. This is, by the way, this Christmas will be my 40th year at Kingwood Church. 40 years. Look, you can tell by the hair. Let me tell you, when, when, uh, when Peggy and I married in this church, when Peggy and I married, uh, she had been a missionary, a missionary kid. And uh, incredible, incredible parents. But every year, every four years of her life, she had to move to a different place. And she had to start over with friends. And she prayed, Lord, let me get somewhere where I can raise my kids in the school that they start in is the one they can graduate from. And the friends they can have can be lifelong friends. That was her prayer. And let me tell you what, it was not our plan to just be in one place for 40 years. But God has been so good. Let me tell you why I think that's incredible. Because right now, I've got people in this church that I've known for 40 years or maybe years less or whatever. And you're my family. I couldn't do without you. I could not do without you. I depend on your encouragement. Every time I see the people that I'm, that many that I knew when I first walked in the door as a, as a 21-year-old, when I see those people in my mind, I just think, wow, this is the same people that loved me and they've loved me for 40 years. Let me tell you, longevity at a church where you can build a family does matter. It matters. And it mattered to Kimbo. Kimbo had a lot of opportunities to go do this, 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 and this. But the family of God got around her, walked with her for three years. And now, by the way, Kim is moving, but she's finished school. She's moving back here, and she's going to take her place right here among the people of God. I just want to tell you, to me, that's an incredible reward. Here's the fourth attitude that Paul mentions. 
be patient with everyone. We're to be patient with all people. Believers, unbelievers, clueless, stragglers, weak. <laughs> be patient. Have you ever heard somebody go, boy, that guy's really short-tempered? You know what they need to, you know what God wants them to say? Boy, he's long-tempered. <laughs> Good grief. Instead of, hey, that guy sure has got a short fuse. What if they said, golly, look, Clark White's got such a long fuse. That's what it means. That's what it means, being patient. Being patient. It's like somebody fails, and you tell them once, and you tell them again, and you tell them again, and then you go to them and say, hey, I don't know why you're not getting this, but I love you. What can I do to help you get this? Not, get with a program, buddy. No. I love you, and I'm going to stand with you. Encouragement is being what God wants you to be so others can be what God designed them to be. How about that one? Encouragement is you being what God wants you to be so others can be what God designed them to be. So now we can have a whole church that can say this. You know, when people step outside the boundaries that are going to hurt them, I want to be, love them enough to confront them and help them. When there are people that need a little boost, I want to give them a little boost, a little nudge. There are people that are weak and need support. I want to stand beside them. And those people who drive us crazy, I'm going to be patient because God is not finished with me either. That's what an encourager looks like. Charmaine, guys, if y'all would come on up. I've asked them to do this for our altar call today. This is what I want to, want to do for the altar call. I have been so encouraged about listening to Teen Challenge today. Hearing that incredible testimony of a family. I, I just said, God arranged that. God just arranged that today. I want you to know, the greatest encouragement that I can give you is that Jesus lives in us. And the encourager himself lives in you. When we sang that song a few moments ago about chains break and and, and th those are what well, I can't remember the words right now all that stuff about good stuff going on in your life lives healed what an encouragement and I watched as y'all were singing and I watched I watched some folks there in Teen Challenge that were your hands started out here and then they got big and then you were going like ah because you, you realized it's the truth and that's the encouragement God has for you I'm going to ask you to stand with me I want to ask them if they will just just one time, just let's go through that song. I want you to let this be your affirmation of God. I want to be an encourager, and I stand in this place today encouraged by the power and the blessing of Jesus. All right, guys, let's go for it. Chains
Let us be the encourager that tells the world and our brothers and sisters those very things. Jesus, you live in me. You have encouraged me today. Now, Lord, I go out as your encourager in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.